I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I'm Ross Bacon. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? And as you should know by now, uh, podcast, beers, movie, Idiots. things, morons, uh, stuff. Um, so tonight we're back in 90s. We're back in action mode with the 90s. And uh, we're going to be talking about our buddy JCVD. He comes back twice in the same movie in Time Cop. And then we're going to talk about the man that we haven't even talked about yet at all, uh, Steven Seagal and his casual slap fighting of Aikido. And then um, we're going to play a little game. It's funny. I was actually out drinking with Tyler, and he was telling me if we ever did an episode, like, I didn't tell him what what, uh, movies we were doing this week. But he's like, if we do just like a shitty Steven Seagal movie episode, he, him and our friend Kyle both want to come on. We can do that because this is like his best movie that we'll be talking yeah. about in uh, Under Siege. But we're going to play a little game before we do that. I, I devised a game for Mike, and uh, it's going to be very Jigsaw-esque. He's going to be tortured during it, and uh, if he doesn't get the answers right, he dies. So um, it might <laughs> just right. be me. Yeah, it just might just be me talking about The Fugitive after that. But um, before well, we do no, my it, attention uh, to detail is not great, so I'm probably going to get the answers wrong and die. You're going to die. But... um. Anyway, so before we even do that, though, we got to talk about what we're drinking. So, Mike, we got. All right. So I am doing the first ever three beer mixture. So we know I like to mix beers and stuff. And I happen to very much enjoy all three beers that I have. Oh, dear. Here we go. beers and a cider. Okay. So we are going with Shoretown from Bonesaw. Okay. Uh, It's a Hell's Lager. Okay. Didn't you recently? You recently did that one, right? Yep. Okay. We are doing Heffenweizen, traditional German wheat beer from Spellbound. Okay. Which is okay. also a Hell's Lager, it appears. Bone saw and Spellbound so far. Okay. And we are doing Austin East Cider's Pineapple Cider, which you have done frequently. I. That's, I, like, that's, that's like Austin East Cider's gets brought up a decent amount of times for. Uh, for when I make my snake bites, because the pineapple say, that, cider just mixes so well with beer. I was going to say, that pineapple one's come up a couple of times. You've gotten, I, uh, I enjoy it very that. much. I enjoy all three of these, so going for the uh, It's in the cauldron. It's in the uh, the big-ass fishbowl. That's a good mixture. Because it's more beer to cider, the pineapple's a bit undertoned okay. on it. Nice, nice. But it's two lighter beers. Like They're both uh, Hell's Lagers kind of leaning beers, and yeah, they're lighter. I could drink a bunch of this. This is good. Nice, nice. Better mixture than last week's. And it's got a, it's got a nice gold color to it. Yeah, it's good. But um, all right. So last week, if you listened to last week's episode, you know that I have my lovely wife for uh, Father's Day got me a beer of the like a monthly beer service for like a couple months or whatever. It's a uh, the Microbrew Beer of the Month Club is what it's called. I'm reading their little like newsletter that comes with it because uh last week i talked about casey beer company which is in kansas city missouri this time they were going a little bit farther west and we're going to a salt flats brewing company which is in salt lake city utah and um i'll first of you drinking their p1 pilsner and it's uh five percent it's about as straightforward a pilsner as you get basically it's the mormon version of a pilsner and it's nothing fancy it's pretty boring but it's a good drink like it's an easy 
chilling beer, just kind of throwing back some beers. It's it's like a Miller Lite if they put a little more taste in it, you know. But um, P1 Pilsner, it's pretty good. And then I'm going to do like a little bit of a taster of their other beer because it's a, uh, a Scottish ale. But it's a wee heavy and it's 9%. So I'm only going to be doing a taster of that one because I have to function early tomorrow morning. So um, before we. fine. It's fine. Oh, yeah, no, it's fine. But uh, so before we get all that, though, we got to talk about a couple of things. So first, we got to talk about Time Cop from 94. And uh, Peter Hyams, who also did Sudden Death with um, our boy JCVD. And then he worked with Arnie on uh, End of Days. And then that movie is Sound of Thunder, where it's like. if you go back in time, like Homer Simpson, you step on a butterfly, you make Maggie a serial killer in the future. I don't know. But it's been a while since I've seen There's that. The time called time travel rules are the most off-the-wall thing I think I've ever seen. Because it's basically, so you can't go forward because the future hasn't happened yet. Makes sense. You can only go backwards. And it's basically like, I don't, there are no rules, it feels like. Well, you can go forward. As long as it's from the past, you know, (laughs) like, so there is that little wrinkle, but the fun part is that our time cops can hit like a little, like a butt pad or like button on their little, like time travel pad and just, you know, walk through a little bit of like a shimmer in reality and get back in time. But somehow that puts them into like this car pod thing that like drives them back up to like, the starting point it makes zero sense because there's no reason for it (laughs) so first things first with this movie you have to suspend all logic involving the time traveling of it in order to enjoy the movie like you cannot like unless you're going to enjoy making fun of the time travel logic the only way you're enjoying this movie is to ignore it entirely well, that's how it is with most time travel movies, even the good ones. Like, even Back to the Future and The Terminator, there are two gigantic, wait, what <laughs> situations going on there? The first, both of which revolve around how can a person be their own father, essentially? You know? yeah. it's like It's like, okay. And then, like, well, how is Michael J. Fox about to bang his own mother? You know, it's uh, okay. It's, it's a weird... It's it's one of those weird glitches that somehow they made entire movies around the 80s. Yeah. But whereas like for the 90s, and I love this movie because the future bad guys, like the future bad time cops mm. are dressed in like, quote unquote, like future clothes. And it they look like everybody out of Back to the Future 2. <laughs> like yeah. the future of Back to the Future 2 is apparently like what dictates fashion in the now, future. Now, I will say, I thought it was a bold choice to go with like the future only being 10 years into the future. Yeah, 2004, mind you. We have, yeah. uh, we have well past the time where we should be using time travel on a regular basis. <laughs> where the hell are you, scientists? What are we paying all these taxes for? God damn it. Big oil's buying them out again, aren't they? Fucking government. You know, you can't trust them to do anything. You know, all I ask is for time travel. That's all I ask. Literally the only thing I ask. Listen, personal jet. I, I don't need time travel, but I do need a personal jetpack. That's safe to use. Yeah. I mean, I need time travel. My, my sights are set a bit higher. I need to be the guy who goes back and like assassinates Hitler bets on the Super Bowl, all that. Kind I didn't of stuff. care why we can't have time travel. <laughs> oh no. I just want it. 
<laughs> I don't want to hear excuses, you know? I just <laughs> want to know that we have it, you know, because I know the you know, when they do a background check on Ross to see if he gets qualifications to time travel, they're going to look at this episode and be like, he's planning to do what? Planning to do everything. Planning to do it all. Planning to take over. I'm planning to be, uh, what's his name? McComb in this. <laughs> I'm planning to be McComb. I'm going to go back planning. and raise funds. <laughs> you're going to Philip J. Fry it? <laughs> right. <laughs> now I'm going to go back in time like, have sex with my, what was it? What's Fry doing? Like, his grandma or something like that? <laughs> Mr. So I own grandma. grandma has moral qualms with the situation. Right. Turns out he's his own grandfather. But, um, yeah, but McCombs and like McCombs' plan in this is to go back and re- campaign fundraise. That's all he's doing. Like, there's there's nothing else to it. Why the hell would you go out and like eliminate your political rivals? You know, <laughs> like we have, you? That's, we have better super villains in the real world because they're just like he wants to become president and run everything and campaign. We already have dick bags that do that. Like you're right. not pitching anything new here, movie. We yeah, even in 2004, we had the exact thing that McCombs is doing. But it's yeah. it's so weird to see a villain in a time travel science fiction action movie who just wants to do something really boring. <laughs> you know, he just wants to do something really boring. He doesn't and eventually he gets to the point where he wants to kill people, you know, and eliminate them from the future. But that's after John Claude Van Damme like intervenes, you know. It's before that he's just raising money to potentially become president, just to run for president. He's not doing it to win. He's doing it just to run for president. <laughs> he respects democracy. <laughs> I was going to say his bar is set so middle. It's it's amazing. Now- if Time Cop is one thing, it's really a warning for why you should have a limited budget for campaigning. And right. Every, exactly. Every presidential candidate gets the same budget for campaigning. Right. Yeah. You should, you should have to produce like hardcore receipts for where you got this information. So when your presidential candidate comes, candidacy comes up and they ask for your receipts and you produce like, stock market crashes from the from the great depression you know the great stock market crash. somebody's gonna be like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute this isn't legit man <laughs> like it's got to be from present day <laughs> you can't go back and rob like the poor blind basically <laughs> but this and it the, what i do appreciate though about the time about this and it's this is the weird time travel part. It's it's the same part in every time travel movie where if you think too much, your brain melts. Mm-hmm. At one point, Jean-Claude Van Damme goes back in time. He, uses, he This time he uses the pod to travel back in time because apparently he's done that a million times. And it we just have no consistency on how you travel back in time in this movie. But he gets back. Things go awry. awry and he comes back to the 2004 present of the movie. Matuzic played his boss played by Bruce McGill welcome back D-Day um he doesn't he remembers uh Walker he remembers JCVD but he doesn't remember their relationship he doesn't remember um McCombs being like the target of an investigation he doesn't remember anything as far as he knows jcb just came back from a random mission which again how the hell would that happen like don't you think yeah. they'd be paying attention to this shit but how in my in my opinion my question is this how are the time cops insulated 
how, how do they insulate themselves from this happening literally every time they go back in time? That's, and then, like, he comes <laughs> back to a nine-year-old kid, and he's like, right, <laughs> when's the awkward situation where he goes, uh, what's his name? <laughs> yeah, he's got to be like, he's like, so, you love soccer? And the kid's like, Dad, what the fuck are you talking about? I play football and baseball. <laughs> like, what's the matter with you? You know, why don't you seem to know who I am, you know? <laughs> You seem really happy that I exist and mom exists, but you know nothing about our life. <laughs> that, whole, that whole relationship, it's like, oh, you want to watch TV with me, son? Dad, you said I was grounded and couldn't watch TV yesterday. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was time traveling. And I, you know how I get when I time travel. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, you should probably quit your job then because this is going to be a really bad relationship. Yeah. <laughs> You are going to be an awful father. <laughs> All right, I'm making steak for dinner. Dad, I'm allergic. <laughs> right. Dad, what the hell are you putting peanut butter on my real peanut butter on my sandwiches for? You know I have that nut allergy. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. I completely forgot because I don't know you. <laughs> you don't exist as far as my memories are concerned. <laughs> and they don't even talk about, like... Like, they don't even have, like, a little line. All you could do is just throw a little line in there and be like, whatever your past self knows, like, in the alternate timeline, like, you acquire that knowledge or something. Like, it's it's a science fiction movie. You can make up whatever you want. <laughs> it doesn't need to make real sense. <laughs> That's, he goes up to his wife, how's your mom? Dead. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she's still dead. Maybe <laughs> because like funerals two years ago, don't you remember? <laughs> you remember you threw yourself on her casket. <laughs> you know what the hell's the matter with you, man? <laughs> Seriously, I'm beginning to worry, Dad. I'm beginning to worry. Uncle Bruce McGill is here all the time. I'm just gonna live with him. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. You can go off and do your own thing. I'm cool with it. <laughs> this is very uncomfortable for me. Now, I do have a problem with Time Cop, and it's a lack of Jean-Claude... What? How? Why? (laughs) When? (laughs) It's a lack of Jean-Claude Van damme Like, it... We do get... It does take a while to get our first Jean-Claude Van Damme split. It takes 20 minutes, which I think is just... That's egregious. What the hell are we doing here? I need more Jean-Claude Van damme Like, I need more more scenes with him just being Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I mean, in this movie, he does a lot of, like, real acting. Mm-hmm. Like, he has to show emotion and, like, he has to play, like, the cliche hero cop who mourns his dead wife or girlfriend um, by watching old home videos and shit. It's the lethal weapon thing. It's, 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 the, it's, it's the sad cop cliche of every, of every movie ever, basically. And he's not good at it. He is just not good. He's like talking along with the video. And it's like, it, it really feels like Jean-Claude Van Damme just reading his lines. <laughs> you know, it's not like him actually being this guy having this conversation. It's very, it's very weird. Cause that's, this is not JCVD's wheelhouse. His wheelhouse is kicking ass and having bad one-liners and doing it with like a wink. <laughs> give me an idea. John Wick with time travel. Uh, okay. A- I wouldn't put it past them to actually do that in one of these movies coming up. I mean, they're doing like 10 of these things. So it's, and I can't see by six or seven. Everyone in the world seven. is an assassin. So I need some backstory on how everyone in the world became an assassin. 
Right. Yeah, we're going to get in, and it's going to be that franchise or Fast and the Furious. Like, we're we're getting it in one of those. And time Marvel travel will make it already did their time heist. Yeah. We need, yeah. A, we need a John Wick and the Fast and the Furious one. Yeah. And by that time, because things are cro- franchises are crossing over and IP doesn't matter anymore, it's going to happen. Like, Keanu's going to just be bored one day, and he's going to be walking past the set, and Vin Diesel's going to be like, Oh, Keanu! You come in, be Dom's friend. It's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> why not? Oh, by the way, you're John Wick. Oh, okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> We're time traveling. Why the fuck not? Who cares? <laughs> it's Fast Feb 15. Who gives a shit by this point? <laughs> it's like the 21 Jump Street sequels by that point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Fast and the Furious medical school <laughs> yeah cooking school or culinary school or whatever it is <laughs> but it's the same case do the same thing <laughs> now that would be great if it just got that meta where it's just them doing the same shit over and over again <laughs> but with like different wigs <laughs> differently painted cars <laughs> but it's there is there there's some there are some good like action like 90s action or just like crazy action movie like lines in this they're not one-liners though because this isn't a one-liner movie mm-hmm. but bruce mcgill has a great line to uh, that guy ricky who's like the science nerd of like the team he's like the tech nerd and yeah. he's watching he's in this like virtual reality porn like headset at one point which is you know present day porn hub i think <laughs> but he's like bruce mcgill yells at one but he goes damn it ricky if i catch you fucking this machine again i'll break your neck <laughs> like the key word in there being again <laughs> why is anyone else in that office there's no way i'm working in that office next to ricky <laughs> i am not doing it <laughs> also is it just me or is ron silver really trying to embrace his inner pacino ron silver is and I'm glad you mentioned that he is dollar store Al Pacino, but without the passion, <laughs> you know, without the like unhinged craziness, you know, he's just which if we got pumped. some more unhinged craziness again, I would have enjoyed this movie more. And which, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I'm just saying there are things to be done that can make it better. Well, that's the thing. That's that's what makes the ending of this movie when the two Macombs are thrown together into that like screaming writhing mass of bad cgi that's like holy shit we needed more of this the whole time like some future people needed to be touching each other in their their two realities and going crazy in these weird like like, the death sentence in there should be they send you back in time and pushed you into yourself yeah that would be great but i do like the way the death sentence is carried out because they just put him back where he was and let yes. him finish the fall. I was like, oh, that's that's creative because, hey, you don't have to worry about like spending resources to put him back somewhere or kill him or whatever. Yeah. You just put him back to the suicide fall he was attempting to make when he was saved by Van Damme in the beginning and just let him finish the fall out. Now, if you're that cop in 1929 that sees him completely disappear and does the whole like Mother Mary, Soma, Jesus, and then he comes back like what, 10 seconds later or whatever, you know that guy, that guy is like permanently on the way, like off the wagon. He oh, is yeah. never sober for the rest of his life. <laughs> now, I do want to see a time cop movie where the death sentence is carried out by sending people back to like dinosaur times. 
Right, because you can go back. You can go back as far as you want. <laughs> you know, yeah, just have like chuck, chuck them to a T Rex or something. <laughs> I've read the villain. What's your evil plan, Senator? I'm going to go get a T Rex. Right. Oh. Right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm getting a team together, and it's like. Genghis Khan, Stalin. It's like an evil Bill and Ted, you know? <laughs> Instead of doing a history report, he's taken over the world with an army of history's greatest murderers, you know? <laughs> he's like, we got Jack the Ripper. We got Genghis Khan. We got- he wants to be president. That could be his cabinet, you know? He could have fucking Stalin. He can have, like, uh, he can have Mussolini. He can have uh, Kissinger, you know, <laughs> history's greatest monsters could be his cabinet. And no, we have That's to spend the, this time with him. They being... actually, in order to decide president, they actually just keep going back in time and grabbing Lincoln before he gets assassinated. <laughs> they keep pushing him slightly out of the way when, yeah. when he's in the play. They keep moving his seats. <laughs> he's sitting. He's sitting in a different balcony. One point, he's sitting in the front row. A bunch of different versions of Lincoln and just make him continually be president. <laughs> right. <laughs> they keep going back and they keep pushing uh they keep like redirecting um john wilkes booth like when he walks in the theater yeah. just go tickets please he's like okay go that way and they just send him off the wrong way it's like mr lincoln's in the back and then they just knock him out with a frying pan or something <laughs> and then they just keep foiling him and then it becomes like a sitcom where it's like just the foiling <laughs> just of john wilkes booth screwing with john wilkes booth <laughs> screwing with john wilkes booth that becomes they a whole department impractical jokers and they just exclusively we go after John Wilkes. Right. <laughs> it becomes like a little section of the time cops where like that's like your break. You just go and fuck with John Wilkes Booth for a while. <laughs> for your lunch break or whatever. <laughs> like he's about to shoot Lincoln and you just swap his gun out with a water pistol. <laughs> right. It's one of those little like flag bang, like bang flag yeah. guns. <laughs> or Lincoln turns and shoots him one time, you know. <laughs> That's yeah, like a cool one-liner right before he does it too. Lincoln, Lincoln security guards waiting with a pie and just shoves it in his face. Right, it's never anything bad. It's just humiliating yeah. the whole time. <laughs> he pants him. <laughs> don't even bother tie his doing. shoes together and he falls over. Right, don't even they take the they take the bullets out of his gun. You know, just a little <laughs> stupid shit. But, I mean, they that draw would be a great. dick on his face. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That would be great. I mean, just anything really to show that someone put a little more time into like thinking about this movie other than who's a hot action star right now? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay, what should we put him in? I don't know, time travel movie? Perfect. Write it and let's shoot it, you know? <laughs> there That's isn't cool. a lot you of thought. We could have gotten Dennis Rodman to be the senator who's trying to raise funds to be a president. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we made... Because that, because that, with Dennis Rodman being in that role, it's now... Wow, that's a really ordinary plan, but it's Dennis Rodman, so I was expecting extraordinary, so my expectations are subverted. Right. I mean... There is so much about this movie that it's like, this is 1994, you know? There could have been, there had to be a lot more, and there was. There was a lot more, like, completely insane action movies out there that people were like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do whatever the hell we want. None of this matters. It's the 90s. We're going to do whatever we want. And, like, a movie like Double Team, 
three years after this is weird because you you would think that this would be the Dennis Rodman blood. You would think that this would be it, not the one where he's an arms dealer. Like you'd think he'd be like Future Man or something like that, you know? Because that's what he looked like at the well, not technically ninety four, but that's what he was. His personality was, you know, he was starting to kind of become the worm, basically. But it's 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 really weird that like the timing of like Dennis Rodman's insanity and mm-hmm. JCVD's like career down spot like fall like downward like run down the hill like they didn't hit earlier or else I think it would have been great for both of them you know they, yeah. their their careers would have been rejuvenated and Dennis Rodman hell he might have become a little bit more of a movie star <laughs> that's true but since they're and the only thing we didn't mention about this movie is that um. There is a Jean-Claude Van Damme sex scene with uh, Sloan from Ferris Bueller. Uh, <laughs> and um, we do it for those that were waiting for Ferris to uh, to rip her shirt off and have sex with her while well, JCBD does it in this. So you can watch Time Cop and see Sloan naked. But um, that's that's the one thing. This It's not gratuitous nudity in this, but yeah. it is a fairly gratuitous sex scene, even though they are a husband and wife. So it's it's like, oh, okay, well, we have it doesn't do anything for the movie but at least it's it makes the mid the midwest happy because they're a good christian couple you know <laughs> they're a good married couple <laughs> i'm sorry we don't get more jean-claude van damme in short shorts i'm surprised no and it's we i don't i think we only see his ass do we see his ass in this i'm not sure i don't think so this might be the only one then because i think in every other movie he you contractually have to see his ass <laughs> that's just funny i was watching uh I think it was Ebert who was doing an interview, like talking about Time Cop. And he was like, you know, they should have showed off Jean Claude Van Damme more. He's like the most beautiful actor we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was. He was a good looking dude, except he had that 90s mullet rocking, you know? That's true. That was, that was fun, which is funny to see like past jcbd like like pre-time cop jcbd because he's got like the short combed hair like it's it's like a regular haircut as opposed to like future mullet <laughs> like uh red martin riggs if he was allowed to be in the future like mullet kind of thing right around lethal weapon 2 basically is that wig but um all right so that's probably enough about uh about old jcbd and time cop there so mike has your uh concoction it's really good i'm enjoying it very much so you know, Austin East Siders, uh, Spellbound, and Bonesaw. Let's get a collab going. Yeah. Yeah, make the mic. Just That's do my goal. My goal is to have people just listen to this and go, hey, we should collaborate with them, or we should not collaborate with them. And we are going to name the beer after the random podcast guy. <laughs> I like how there would be a meeting just to be like, no, let's not collaborate with them. <laughs> What, what, why are we here? We're just going to decide not to collaborate with Happy Hour Films. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. I was saying, like, last week, I did not like the concoction. Oh. So I want uh, Red, White, and Brew and Charles Hard Cider, Sir Charles Hard Cider to go, yeah, we listen to this podcast. Apparently, that makes sure it's not good. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Cross it off the list. <laughs> Cross it off the list, boys. <laughs> no longer coming out. Mike did the work for us. But, um, all right, so, yeah. My Salt Lake City, Salt Flats Brewing Company, P1 Pilsner. Very good. I'm on my second one. I'm going to save my taster for beginning a fugitive. But, um, yeah, it's good. Good, simple Pilsner. I guess the Mormons got that one right. But, um, <laughs> all right. So, 
Mike, we're about to talk about Under Siege, but we need to play a little game first. I think it's going to be America's favorite game going forward. Um, it's called Seagal Movie or Airport Novel. <laughs> now, I thought it was going to be Seagal or Seagull. <laughs> is it Katie Seagal or Steven Seagal I'm about to talk about? <laughs> Married with children. Uh, Katie. <laughs> is it Steven Seagal or the pigeon of the sea? <laughs> what? <laughs> Have you never heard a seagull called that? No, I mean, in The Simpsons, they call them beach turkeys, which is now what my wife calls them, and now that's what Robin calls them. <laughs> I've also heard um, ocean chickens. Yeah, that too. Either way, they're fucking scavengers. Don't feed them. You're people are the worst. But um, all right. So, Seagal movie, Steven Seagal movie, or airport novel. Now, what's I'm, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read a title. And you have to tell me, Mike, if it's a Steven Seagal movie or an airport novel. Like one of those, like, dad novels. in the airport that, like, in one of the newsstands where you're like, crap, I didn't bring a book and I want to read on the plane. It's there's nothing to these movies, these books. There is nothing worth reading. They're usually written by the same guys, you know, that you just pick them up. They're essentially crap, but they're fairly entertaining crap. All right. So we'll start off easy. How about Above the Law? Seagal movie. Yeah, that's just that's his first. That's the big one that we got there. All right. How about Dead or Alive? Hmm. I feel like there's a book called it, but I also feel like there's probably a Seagal movie. Ah, yes, that is that is the tricky part. I'm going to go with book. That is correct. It is a Tom Clancy novel. Okay. <laughs> All right. How about Exit Wounds? Book. No, that is a Steven Seagal movie from 2001. <laughs> All right. How about Shadow Man? That's definitely a book. That is Steven Seagal, 2006. <laughs> All right. Now, here we go. Sons of Fortune. I feel like you did two Seagal movies in a row, so I'm going to go with book. Yes, it is. It's by Jeffrey Archer. <laughs> All right. Executive Orders. Seagal movie. Ah, no, it is a book by Tom Clancy, but the Seagal movie is Executive Decision. Wow. <laughs> that was a bit, I was trying to get that one, like, that yeah. was a bit of a tricky one. But then, all right, how about this? The Terminal Man. Well, it's an airport. <laughs> it takes place in an airport because terminals. It could be a guy that has terminal cancer. You never know. Seagal movie. Ah, no, it's a Michael Crichton novel. <laughs> the Glimmer Man. Oh, God. Like, I feel like Steven, if that movie exists, Steven Seagal is obligated to be in it. So it's a Seagal movie. <laughs> it is a Steven Seagal movie. It's from 1995 <laughs> or 1996. All right. So how about this? Uh, Divine Justice. Airport book. Yes, it is by David Baldacci. Um. All right, how about On Deadly Ground? Seagal movie. Yeah, it's, it's one of his good ones, too, 94. All right, um, Black Dawn. Seagal movie. Yeah, Seagal movie. Seagal movie from 05. Uh, how about 
State of Fear. I feel like that's a Seagal movie, and I feel like Kyle showed me a video from that. <laughs> it is a Michael Crichton novel. Um, <laughs> All right. Cross Justice. Now I'm just imagining a priest going around with a cross and, like, taking justice into his own hands. <laughs> doing hot, doing Aikido. <laughs> <laughs> like, Velocipaster meets right. Don Wick. Right, that's the, Yeah, that's the sequel to uh, Velocipaster. Right. So what uh, is I'm going to go with the Gaul movie. No, it's James Patterson. It's from the Alex Cross series. Oh. Uh, yep. All right, how about Killing Floor? That's got to be a Seagal movie. No, that's a Lee Child novel. It's the first Jack Reacher book. <laughs> uh, how about all right? So we got two more. We'll do. We'll do. We'll do three more. Command Authority. It's a long movie. No, it's a Tom Clancy novel. <laughs> Maximum Conviction. Book. Steven Seagal movie, 2012. <laughs> all right. Now here. Okay. Here's the last two. Here's, these are tough ones. Our game. Now that's our as H O U R game. Book. Yes, it's by David Baldacci. Okay. All right. Here's the here's the one. Here here is the one. Deadly contract. Both. <laughs> Wrong. But this one actually has two titles, both of which I feel like could be an airport novel title. Deadly contract is the one that you'll see on the poster. For it's a Seagal movie. Well, on the poster. The other title is the one that it's listed on, I believe, Wikipedia uh, or IMDb as China Salesman. <laughs> huh. Guess who now it's from 2017. Steven Seagal is in the movie. Guess who else is in the movie with Steven Seagal? I don't even know where to start with this. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take, I'll make it easy on you. It's Mike fucking Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> It is Mike Tyson. <laughs> you know, like, I feel movie. like I should be surprised, but I'm not. <laughs> right, exactly. It's a it's a Chinese movie, and it says featuring Mike Tyson, Stephen Seagal. So I'm willing to bet they're in per, probably one scene. <laughs> That's about it. It's like it's kind of like the um the Bruce Willis like movies, like before yeah. he found out he had dementia or whatever. It's like where he's in 15 of them for five seconds each. But um, yeah. So, like I said, like. It's not an easy game. The Seagal or Airport yeah. novel is not an easy game. It's it's a very difficult one because I think if James Patterson like comes up with a title in the realm of like a Hollywood producer, they go, "I like it. I'm making it a Seagal movie. Come up with a different name." Yep. <laughs> you know, and it's that's how Seagal gets his titles. You know, or it's like Steven Seagal's reading through scripts and he sees one that's like. Whatever you know, is he sees one that's like uh, what was one I had here? He sees one that says, "Uh, threat vector." You know, <laughs> it's like no, I don't like it. Give it to Tom Clancy. <laughs> I'm know? surprised he doesn't have like a keto assassin as a movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like State of Fear. <laughs> you know, that's definitely a Seagal movie. Nope, Michael Crichton novel. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent game. <laughs> I loved it. It was, it was weird. I'm, I'm like looking through his filmography. I'm like, all of these sound like bad, like dad novels, you know, like this is not something yeah. shit my dad used to read on business trips, you know? <laughs> but so now we'll get into the good, 
the the best Steven Seagal of Under Siege from 92, from, directed by Andrew Davis, who we will talk about shortly again with The Fugitive. He also directed Holes. Hey, <laughs> I, I bring Holes up a lot. Imagine that. And um, I think in Are this movie... Are we trying movie, to get a Holes Under Siege and The Fugitive Cinematic Universe? I mean... I'm sure there's a link somewhere. The the fugitive and undersea share enough actors that those two can be linked together. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, one of them has to survive being shot in the head in this one, but <laughs> to become in the be in the fugitive as well, or have a twin. Well, brother. Maybe, maybe we we write that this takes place after the fugitive. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, but um, that that would explain why uh, Sam Gerard, U.S. Marshal would have lost his mind and become a CIA operative. You know? yeah. And then lost his mind again and became a mercenary. Right. <laughs> but Steven Seagal, in, in, when, you, when you watch this movie, Steven Seagal, and there's a video of it on YouTube, it's become a meme in, of it, in and of itself. <laughs> he's doing, like, nowadays, he's just this, like, fat guy with a goatee, and he does these, like, demonstrations of Aikido, which is all he does is, like, slap people and turn their wrists so they flip. You know, that's all he does. It's yeah. the most casual thing you've ever seen. In this movie, this is, like, peak Seagal, like, where you'd think he would be a kick-ass action star. And all he really does when he's in hand-to-hand fights is just slap people a little bit, like hand yep. motion slaps, and that's it. He's done. You know, it's like, really? What, what are we doing? Arnold's, like, ripping throats. Arnold's throwing guys all over the place. I mean, yeah, technically, Seagal rips a throat out in this one, but, you know, he's, like, throwing people. We, we got Stallone going crazy. Even Van Damme is kicking people all over the place. Seagal's just casual slapping. You know? <laughs> I make fights look casual. Right. He's kind of like Neo at the end of the Matrix when he realizes he's God. He's yeah. just kind of like one hand behind his back, like slapping Agent Smith's arms away. That's all it is. <laughs> now, this movie has some key aspects that are required for a great Nicolas Cage movie. One, Everything is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is on fire. And most and of two, the dialogue is either whispering Gary, or screaming. <laughs> and two, Gary Busey is cross-dressing. <laughs> Yeah, I completely forgot that he does that at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> I completely forgot that. And uh, speaking of Gary Busey, um, Mike and I have discussed, we will have at some point a theme, a theme was recommended to us um, by our, our friend Brian. And he wanted to, he wanted, he suggested maybe we do a theme for batshit crazy actors. Gary Busey's name was one of the ones he listed. I was like, you know what? That's a hell of an idea. <laughs> we, we should absolutely do it. So look for more Busey in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gary Busey might have to get like, uh, might have to go with uh, trying to think his entire it. filmography. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except for the one where he won an Oscar. What is it? Buddy Holly or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of other actors that we could work into that. <laughs> Oh, there's he meant yeah. Brian Rowe also recommended uh, Corey Feldman is definitely one of them because he's completely insane now. There's um Randy Mel Gibson, but he kind of came back from that. Did he though? That's true. <laughs> you don't really come back from what he did. That's true. <laughs> Whereas then there's like Randy. Carrie mentioned Randy Quaid, you know, because he's completely off the reservation now. He's hiding out in Canada because people he thinks people are trying to kill him. His star whackers, but um, but yeah, but so that'll be that'll be coming down the pipe uh, for that, but um. But Busey in this, as Commander Krill, get it? He's in the Navy, and he's named after sea life. <laughs> Isn't that just hilarious? One that gets eaten by whales. 
Right, exactly. And he gets blown up and it probably becomes whale uh, food anyway. But he's so he this is like perfect evil Busey. Like it's this and Mr. Joshua. Like these are like similar roles and they're just Yeah, we're so at cool. like prime, not quite fully off the rails Busey. Here. This is just after point break, you know, yeah. so he's he's just after Dumby and Papas, you know, and uh it's this he's so he's he's one of it, but this is right before I think Predator 2. Mm. I, I I can't remember when Predator 2 is. It's right around here, though. And I think it might be 92 or 91. But um, even in Predator 2, this is basically his character. But in Predator 2, it's like sci-fi version of that, you know? That's, but, but really, the star with this movie is Tommy Lee Jones. Because I love when Tommy Lee Jones just goes balls to the wall with his characters. You mean when he acts? <laughs> You know, when he actually acts as opposed to just being Tommy Lee Jones nowadays, which is just gruff guy, <laughs> you know, gruff old man. And Predator 2, for the record, was from 1990. So this is post-Predator 2. So this is essentially him doing his Predator 2 character, but in the Navy, you know. And, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is watching this and then back-to-back with The Fugitive, which is what I did. I watched this and then The Fugitive right after it. That right there is like Nicolas Cage doing the rock, Con Air, and... um face off three in a row this is two in a row where it's like he should have been nominated for this one and he absolutely deserved to win for the fugitive but yeah. these both people like both of these we should have been like tommy lee jones is the fucking guy right here you know yeah, tommy lee jones in this he's just like full-blown like insane and i loved it <laughs> he's a rock star terrorist which is amazing and he's essentially two-faced but without the makeup, <laughs> he is so over the top in this movie and it's so good. But there is one of my favorite lines that he has in this movie is when Busey is in drag and he looks at him, he goes, and he, he's talking about why um, he even put up, put on this coup because his, uh, the captain wanted to have him be at a psychological evaluation because he, he's become increasingly hostile to the crew and all that. And, He's in drag. Uh, do at, I look like I need a psychological And then there's a beat. And then Tommy Lee Jones just goes, not at all. <laughs> just completely, <laughs> so, so completely seriously. Not at all. And even though this movie is basically Die Hard on a boat, that's that's what how people reviewed it at the time, too. They're like, it's Die Hard, but on a, on a battleship. <clears throat> that, not, that formula is a perfect formula for like a nineties, just dumb action movie. It's perfect. Also, for that. I think my favorite is the idiot guard. Who's like set to guard. Uh, like he's outside of where uh, Nash. <laughs> yeah, Nash. <laughs> ponytail, uh, ponytail FBI agent with uh, a yeah. ponytail us marshal with um, Tommy Lee Jones in the future. But um, yeah, they're just like, and then he just ends up getting talked into opening the door. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, essentially. But it's God, this this movie is so it's so funny because there's also big parts of this movie take place in like the war room, essentially. And it's the Doctor Strange Strange Love set, but without as big of a light above them, you know, without the gigantic yes. table, you know, the like the overblown satirical size table. I do like the uh like what's a how are we gonna get away with this? Well, they're gonna be so distracted from us nuking Hawaii. 
Right. Yeah. What did Hawaii ever do? And they mentioned Pearl Harbor. And I was like, yeah, but why Hawaii? <laughs> There's no reason to destroy Hawaii. There, be I, better. Think they were, I think they were shooting at the naval bases on Hawaii. Yeah, it's it's the plan is to destroy near Pearl Harbor. You know, it's I think that's specifically mentioned. Yeah. But um it it would make more sense to have like a rock style plot to like blow up Alcatraz or something yeah. like or like San Francisco or whatever. But <laughs> Leave Hawaii alone. Take yeah. down California. <laughs> yeah, fuck California. Hawaii is a magical place. California sucks. <laughs> Hawaii is pretty great. We've both been to Hawaii. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. But California, I've been to California. It's, it's, it's California, you know? And it's worse. It's good to visit, worse to live in, you know? But there's there's a lot of parts of this movie. Now, we do have to mention, because this movie has the most egregious of the well at least the last two weeks of the gratuitous nudity that we've that we taught that we'll be talking about which is a staple you see for our youtube channel for the most egregious of hey <laughs> it is not egregious in our ticket to hawaii those women are playboy playmates and they deserve to show it off <laughs> how shall we view these how shall we review this contraband topless in a hot tub <laughs> well that's how half would have wanted it you know <laughs> But in this movie, Erica Aliniak, which in 1992, Erica Aliniak, we have coined the phrase before. She is fuck you hot in this movie. And she plays, we just mentioned it, a Playboy Playmate who is brought onto this ship by Tommy Lee Jones and his crew as like entertainment for the boys. Like as this, as this, um, for the captain's birthday, she's going to pop out of a cake and she takes, she's, she's seasick. She takes a bunch of Dramamine and apparently she passes out inside of the fake cake. Now, at one point after everything's gone to shit, Steven Seagal accidentally knocks into the cake. The music begins like the cock rock stripper rock starts up. She pops out of the cake, starts doing her routine, starts stripping, pulls off her jacket. We get a topless Erica Aliniak. She is acting like she has no idea what's happening because apparently her eyes were closed, you know, when she popped out and didn't notice no one was around. And then she gives the her explanation, and Seagal's looking at her. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> there are bodies ten feet away from you. What the fuck is your problem?" And she's like, "I don't know. They gave me these things to take to help my seasickness, and I I fell out." It's like, "Oh, the, the, the Seagal should reply with, oh, so you're like Pavlov's stripper? Once you hear music, you pop out and just start taking your clothes off for no reason other than the fact that that's what you should be doing at that moment." <laughs> Right. <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> it's funny because you also could have gone with uh what's the uh oh god why can't I think of the the guy with the cat with the poison in a box and Schrodinger. Like what's it? Schrodinger. Schrodinger. Schrodinger stripper. Is she, stripper. Is she dead? You don't know if she's dead or alive inside that cake until the music starts. <laughs> she's both Pavlov's and Schrodinger's stripper. Yeah, I mean it's it's so funny because I've taken Dramamine. It doesn't do that shit to you. <laughs> you know, it's not going to knock you unconscious. Did. You know, but it's also also, also if the whole plan was the coup, like, and really the the only reason that they absolutely needed the Playboy Bunny is to get the guy to allow a helicopter to land without clearance. <laughs> Yeah, and could that not have just been a ploy, and you didn't actually go out and get a Playboy bunny? Well, that's the thing they 
they make all these excuses to try to get stuff done without the captain's knowledge and like to kind of do it and then apologize later. You know, it's, oh, but it's for your surprise party. Like, there's no reason for Erica Oleniak to be in this movie. There's just none whatsoever. She plays no role in the movie whatsoever, except for she has one of the better story arcs I've ever seen for a useless character. She starts off as terrified Playboy Playmate. Like wisecrack- ish. <laughs> yeah, then she's wisecracking sidekick. Yep. Then she's take no shit sidekick, calling like the coward, like the guys that are scared pussies, basically. And then she's essentially a capable killer sidekick. Like she murders a dude and saves the girl's life at one point. So like you could very well hand her that gun and be like, you know what? You go over that way, you kill a couple people. I'll go this way and I'll kill the rest. <laughs> it's like you are now, congratulations, you're in the Navy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's it's funny because most of the time, like the white hot fuck you hot girl in these movies would be like either the love interest or they would just be gratuitous tits and ass. And that's all they would be. And this she starts off that way, but then actually becomes a character, which is yeah. a very weird progression for a 90s like, action movie. <laughs> but like she becomes like four different characters throughout the movie, <laughs> which is weird because. Everyone else in the movie is the stock stereotype character the whole time. She she's the only one that actually has growth. <laughs> and now the war room dynamic. <laughs> it's like the cheering after they find out that it's done. The um he's like, oh, I wish we had a guy like that on board. But uh we do. <laughs> you do, know, he's right. You're you literally didn't you mean you didn't get a list of the people who were on board so you maybe knew what assets you had to work with i understand that gary Busey didn't know he was what he had in the cook in casey ryback just a cook because the captain had his personnel files stashed away in his Mm -hmm. own like his personal files so i get it that's why Busey didn't know but the military should absolutely know who is on that ship. <laughs> they should definitely know that a man who is essentially riding out until retirement is court martial. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely where he is, especially if he is the high level, like black ops assassin Navy SEAL that he is. <laughs> you should absolutely know where that man is at all times. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, he should be on your list of, oh, this guy could go rogue, and we might have to take him out. So know where he is every... He may become Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> at any point, which is exactly what Tommy Lee Jones is. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the only thing. That scene with those two playing off each other is weird. It's because it's... it's And it's, it's funny because Keanu gets the most shit for being a wooden actor. Like, everybody's going, Keanu's wooden, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fuck you. He's Keanu. He rules. Steven Seagal is wooden. The man is so casual. Just casual. It's the only way I can describe him. He's casual. And this is him actually acting. (laughs) So, Kyle and Tyler both showed me this video from a terrible Seagal movie, like a more modern Seagal movie, where there's like a priest who's shot in the stomach, and Steven Seagal is walking over, and he's like, help me. The priest is like, help me, it hurts. And Steven Seagal just goes, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And even now, like, in this, this is him at his, like, also, like, most animated, too. Like, he's only gotten, like, more and more casual. As sad as it is, this is peak Seagal. It is the best Seagal, you know? And I think On Deadly Ground was after this, but even that, 
it's still it's it's coming down off the peak Seagal, but it's still better Seagal. Whereas like the stuff he does now to like pay his Russian taxes or whatever it is, because I think that's where he lives now. I think he's like one of Vladimir Putin's boys. And he's his acting now is essentially just whispering into the mic. You know, it's like it's like, yeah, well, I'm here to kill somebody. And I'm going to do that. And then he like walks away, like just is fat and walks away. You know, it's, it's like, wait, how is this man still making movies? You know, at least Bruce Willis. Betrayal in South Park. Right. And Machete. Like he's in Machete. People used to be stoked on me, but they weren't stoked on me. Right. But like, it's like, what happened? Like, how was this guy and his casual slap fighting Aikido a star like how did we let him that i could succeed in hollywood if i ever get a chance (laughs) all you gotta do you gotta slap fight slap fight yeah slap fight that's all you gotta do and it's it's which makes the the final fight between him and tommy jones even funnier because they're supposed to be like evenly matched cia navy seal guys and they had this knife fight where it's just a lot of like twirling the knife around and like clicking them together yeah. and then all of a sudden Tommy Lee Jones gets the, like stabbed throat rip stabbed in the head and then um you know it's it's eye rip stab in the head um then he's thrown into like some electrical components and it's like that's the most creative death in the movie and it was preceded by four minutes of just hand waving <laughs> it was just also, hand waving it's all with the whole blowing up of the submarine or the sinking of the submarine um I have concerns that there are nuclear weapons aboard that submarine. That they do address that though, because Erica Liniak says, um, what'll happen to the nuclear tipped warheads or whatever? And they're like, that's not how it works. And I was like, okay, I guess in the realm of this movie, that's not how it works, but I'm pretty sure that you're dumping nuclear waste into the bottom of the ocean at that point. <laughs> Which now, I mean, there are unaccounted for lost nuclear weapons. That happened. That has happened. Nuclear weapons have fallen off ships. Yeah, there's weird things at the bottom of the ocean, off yeah. the coast of New Jersey. There are full blown trains at the bottom of the ocean, and nice. no one's quite sure where they came from. I'm guessing derailed tracks. <laughs> maybe they were. Maybe they fell off ships. You know, they were probably being transported across. That's, the, that's the or whatever. Guess that they, they fell probably off fell off ships. ships. But but no, there's it's like, like full blown trains, like like at, like multiple cars. Well, yeah, and then that's like artificial reefs are are like with that. That's when they like sink ships to make artificial reefs and all that. And and then there's like that Bimini Road where it's like basically people are like, it's the road to Atlantis, essentially. And it's like this random road in the middle of the Caribbean, I think. It's crazy because like I did when I was doing my master's in history, I did an underwater archaeology course. And we learned like, hey, there is some weird shit in the ocean, including multiple probable nuclear weapons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then there's that whole city of Atlantis that's down there. Aquaman's fucking around out there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, Megalodons in the Marianas Trench. They're all Um, out there. There's a shark that's literally filled with pee that eats polar bears and lives 400 years. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows this. They're out there. That's that's an Icelandic Arctic shark, I think it's called. Good. But they're an actual thing. Piss shark? Nice. Piss shark. Piss shark is an actual thing. That's gonna be that's gonna be your next uh it's gonna be the next Steven Seagal movie, Piss Shark. 
No, it's actually going to be the next uh, Sharknado. Sharknado eight piss sharks. Piss shark. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of upset that they haven't continued making those movies until they literally ran out of like words to put on paper. Yeah, but yeah, and then <laughs> there's like we do get one one liner from our hero in this, and it's when um. It's when Erica Liniak has her little speech where she's like, I have two rules. One, I don't date musicians. And two, I don't kill people. And Seagal, again, straight, like almost with like a casual smile, just goes, well, I'm thrilled to death to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know that he, that's, that's half Seagal being like, I have to say this shit. And half of like him being like, you know what? I think this is my one liner. This is my I'll be back. You know, <laughs> I'm thrilled to death to hear that. Like somehow finds a way into all of his movies going forward. Yeah. <laughs> He's like expecting people to say it in like jokes and Saturday Night Live and shit like that. But everybody's like, no, no, we're not going to do that, Stephen. <laughs> but come it's on, funny. it's my it's actually gonna, It's actually going to make an appearance on SNL shows in like 20 years, ironically. And you're just going to get a celebration from Steven Seagal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it'll be on his deathbed. Be like, they finally did it. Uh. <laughs> <And> it does. <laughs> That's his happy ending, <laughs> right? Yeah, because he definitely would come at that point too. You know, so it'd be a happy ending twice. <laughs> no offense to the Sean Watson. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, offense to that guy. Yeah, come on, offense to that guy. Fuck that was that a that was a reference to uh, the YouTube guy Barry McCockiner. Uh, he does like funny sports videos. <laughs> And he always says, like, a bunch of things, and he'll be like, he's like, and uh, my huge penis, no offense to Nick Foles. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of funny things on the internet, there is also... um, I'm coming in hard, no offense to people with ED. Oh, there you go, nice. (laughs) There's also this guy, I think think it's uh, pronounced Gary, I think it's it's Gary Denoya or Denoa or something. Mm -hmm. He does a lot on Instagram. He does a lot of posts where it's like um, famous movies redubbed with Philly accents. It's fucking hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. And any like I'm, I I found it the other like a week ago. I just have been scrolling through. I got my friends and like I got my like one of my friends like really hooked on it too. We just been scrolling through finding these posts and just listen. They're fucking great. If you if you don't know what the Philly accent is, if you don't watch It's Always Sunny when they do the Philly accent, this is like a legit native Philadelphian making fun of the Philly accent, doing it like to movies. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> the one with Forrest Gump is particularly good, and Willy Wonka is um, the original Charlie Chocolate Factory is also particularly good. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, Steven Seagal, like I said, he's like an anomaly for the 90s. Like, everybody else was just a muscle-bound Hulk, like, doing their thing, sweaty, bombs, like, bullets kicking ass and all that. He's just, you know, slick back ponytail, real casual, got his slap keto, and um, that's it. And But he does have something at least... Similar with nowadays action heroes, because he only kind of gets cut at one point in this, and he kind of gets cut in the back a little bit at one point, and that's about it. Like you can't, you can't mar the Steven Seagal beauty. You know, you can't, you can't mess up that face too much. You know, but well, you mess up the face, not the ponytail. Not the ponytail. No, though, God forbid you fuck up that ponytail. Now but, I uh, want a Steven Seagal movie where his 
he's like an action hero and his power is like Sindel from uh, Mortal Kombat where he just controls his ponytail. <laughs> That's his weapon. His hair is alive. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny as hell. And it's voiced uh, by Gary Busey. <laughs> uh, yes. God, that would be fucking great. <laughs> All right, Mike, pop quiz. Dead or alive? What's that? Dead or alive? Seagal or airport novel? Seagal. No, oh, no, Tom Clancy novel. Damn. <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do that randomly forever going forward. Just kind of randomly. Like, <laughs> That's Seagal the movie airport novel. 5,000. Pop quiz, Seagal airport novel. Airport novel. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the room and it'll be like, quick, Seagal airport novel. The room. <laughs> you know. But um, all right, so let's try another under siege. I gotta grab my uh my taste in beer. Uh, so Mike, talk about your concoction. All right, my concoction is doing very well. Uh, the lighter lagers mix really well with the pineapple cider. Pineapple cider definitely does better with the mixtures than the cranberry cider. Uh, cranberry is a little too sour. Pineapple one just right. Um, I gotta get some actual apple ciders though to give it a shot because. I feel like I've reviewed a ton of ciders, but none of them were actually apple cider. Yeah, I don't think you've done like a regular cider. That's the closest I did was from Armageddon Brewing when I did a, uh, it was like a ginger apple cider. Did it have a picture of Rupert Grint on the front? Yes. Nice. No, but it did have a picture of a, what, Prince Harry. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So. I have now tapped into the Kilted Harley, which is Salt Flats Brewing Company's Scottish Ale, and it's 9%. I have it in my little, uh, well, Carrie's little ship bottom brewery. Hey, that's like, a, that's like a mini, <laughs> that's like a mini. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a ship bottom brewery. It's like little taster, like flight glasses that they have. You can buy them. Uh, I wish you'd get the surfboard that they got, that they serve them with. But um, all right, so I'm going to take a sip of this. I already tasted a little bit off the lip of the can. But uh, I'm going to take a little sip of this, see, uh, see how this shit hits you. Mm-hmm. All right, Ross is taking a sip. Um, wow. For 9%, it doesn't have that, like, alcohol taste, like the, like the dry liquor almost taste to it that a lot of, like, 9% beers do have. Like, this is surprisingly smooth for being 9%. And... If this is what the Scottish are drinking for their ales, my God, <laughs> how does that country function? <laughs> are they just, they're just made differently over there. <laughs> they are. Because this is a good beer, but like, if this was all that was like available, it's like, you go and like, give me an ale. Then they hand you one of these. It's like, all right. I'm glad I'm Scottish because I can function after this, whereas uh, my tourist friend over here is dead. <laughs> I'll pick him up off the floor. <laughs> That's, I, so I'm a big Scotch fan. I, I do like Scotch a lot. The Scotch or the drink? The drink. Oh, okay. So I believe, I, they, I believe I the like, people prefer to be called Scots. Yeah. That's, I think, I do like uh, Scottish ales, though. I mean, it's a good one. It's really smooth. Like, I did not expect it to be as smooth as it is. You know, I was expecting, like, that bitter, like, alcohol kind of taste afterwards. But, like, it's really good. Really good. 
I mean, I I really wish I had off tomorrow so I could actually enjoy a full one of these. Yeah. <laughs> but there's two more in my fridge because I got three of them with the, my little uh, my real beer club. So uh, one of these nights, I think probably tomorrow night because I have off on Tuesday. I might just sit here, pull a little because uh, I do have to watch uh, whatever Mike's making me watch this week. Uh, I do have to watch this that. This will come out after my explanation. So I'm making Ross watch the first three episodes of Arcane. And he's going to have to, because they're, spoiler alert, there's a time skip in Arcane after episode three. So he's going to have to let me know if he's going to finish the show. That's right. And that's that's the one on Netflix, right? It's yep. uh, Arcane League of Legends or something? Yep. Okay. You don't have sure. to play the game. I've never played League of Legends, so you don't have to play the game at all to understand what's going on. I think um, some of my brother-in-law's friends, uh, dear listeners, uh, one Sammy, who I gave us our wonderful logo, I think uh, I think they're League of Legends players, I think. I don't know. Um, it's uh, now, I'll say Arcane might be the best animated show of the last 10 years. You sure? Because when I turned on Netflix the other day, there was an anime that popped up as a little ad called Bastard. <laughs> Just Bastard. <laughs> With like I love an that, I point love that Ross is now getting anime recommendations because I made him watch Devil Man Cry, baby. You know, fucking algorithm. That goddamn Netflix algorithm, man. Lasting effects of that choice. <laughs> but the, well, the thing is, though, it's like, it must be Castlevania as well because the yeah. animation style is that style for this bastard, you know. And so I saw a bit like the like the like the little like preview because they again Netflix they're fucking out of them. They have to know I'm I'm that guy, and that's how you're gonna get me. The little thumbnail of it is like some dude character, whatever, talking to a female character with like a giant boob window in her shirt with these gigantic like triple F boobs, and I was like. Really? I guess this is from the devil. Hopefully, this is from Devilman Crybaby, where Miko is like somehow f- like tagged in the algorithm. So if you watch that, you get recommended other shows with women with ridiculously, hilariously large boobs in it. You know, so it's like, all right, you fuckers, you got me. That's, I'm just gonna keep picking animated shows on Netflix. So Ross's recommended are all sorts of screwed up. I'm gonna have to create my own like a separate account just for Mike's like anime recommendations. <laughs> That's just, my so, revenge for society. It's not gonna be anything you dislike watching, but your recommendations are gonna be screwed up. <laughs> Mike's going Mike's playing the long term with this one. The long term <laughs> revenge game. But Wait, that would like that'd be fun. I just want some like intern at Netflix that's in charge of watching what people are like, like their like habits or whatever. Suddenly looking at mine, being like, "Wait a minute, this guy's like watching Seinfeld, The Good Place. He's watching, uh, you know, the, the documentaries we got here. What the fuck is all this anime suddenly showing up? What the hell's going on here? Our statistics say he's a forty year old man that doesn't like this shit. <laughs> what the hell's going on? And he just loses his mind and like has to quit and go to Hulu or something. <laughs> But anyway, speaking of losing your mind, uh, we have to talk about The Fugitive from 93. And again, directed by Under Siege is Andrew Davis. Apparently, Under Siege is what got him this job. And, and thankfully, Fugitive it did. is a damn great movie. I it's love fucking awesome. It's such a great fucking movie. It is like, so good. And like Harrison Ford playing against uh, playing. <laughs> Like I love Harrison Ford in this. 
The um, best part is, is if you made this movie nowadays with these two guys, it would be a completely different movie. Oh, completely yeah. different movie, and it would almost be unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, you'd almost get like a cheap knockoff of No Country for Old Men or something. That's that's what this movie would be. It really would be, except not set in the desert, you know? Yeah. But set in Chicago. Chicago. Set in Chica- shit in Chicago with the worst cops ever, <laughs> you know? The sh- and it's it's so funny because the Chicago Police Department, and uh, if you're one of our listeners from Chicago and your family is cops or you are a cop, you can't deny the fact that the history of the Chicago PD and corruption is not exactly great. <laughs> this movie is kind of like a little microcosm of that because the second the Chicago police get a suspect in this movie, they are hammering it home. This is a guilty man. This is a fucking monster. He's a murderer. He's a cop killer. You know, it's all this shit. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't we take a second and do some police work? Maybe find some evidence. You know, I don't know. Do some detective work. Pretty quickly, we will find out that this man, Richard Kimball, is not your guy. <laughs> like, Dr. Richard Kimball is not the cop-killing murderer that you think he is, That's, detective. <laughs> I, love, I love the scene where he's like, why would he kill his wife? For the money. He's rich. <laughs> he's one of the richest surgeons in, like, in the country. Why would he? And like the life insurance policy, like it's, it's a, it's a show off like the ID network, you know, it's a bad, like true crime podcast. You know, this is serial, but with a rich doctor, you know, and it's like, yeah. there's no way. Yeah. And, that's, if he had remote, like his lawyers must've been the opposite of OJ's lawyers. <laughs> well, he calls his lawyer at one point and the guy's like, Richard, you got to turn yourself in. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? You're the reason I'm in this pickle in the first place, dickhead, because you didn't say, Oh, so this investigation was bullshit, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't do anything that anybody would do on their second day of cop school. <laughs> <laughs> not first day first day cops would not have been able to crack this case second day cops you guys got it yes which is apparently like who they didn't call because they got all the rookies on this case because right away there is so much going on that that 911 call which is apparently what bases whatever everyone's um assumptions are hinged on anyway where she says he's trying to kill me and then she pauses and then says, Richard, like almost as if she recognizes her husband walking in the room or something like that, you know, and then says he's trying to kill me. It's like uh, any good lawyer would be like, um, clearly, your honor, there was a bit of a, ta- a gap there. She didn't say Richard is trying to kill me. <laughs> she said something else. And for one, why is literally any of this happening? Because we have this one armed man we have not tried to find. <laughs> we have not tried to find him at all. <laughs> The way she says Richard on the phone makes me think of the South Park episode where you first meet the uh, the shop teacher and he keeps flashing back to his dead wife and she just goes, Richard. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. It is so good. It's perfect, though. <laughs> what I was thinking of, for, and it always makes me think when everyone saw me. Every time, higher, Richard. <laughs> right? Every time someone says Richard in a movie, it always makes me think of Tommy Boy. It's like, yeah. Richard. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> but, yeah, the best line in this movie, like one of my all-time favorite scenes ever is, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, and 
it is. It, there are so many iconic scenes and lines and that was bullshit he survived that but whatever (laughs) there's a couple different times where he shouldn't have survived but um first of all jumping off the bus is an iconic scene that's an iconic scene and i do like that because when that's right after we get um the 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 prison escape the bus escape uh, the bus crash we are introduced to tommy lee jones and this is when we get the iconic, I want a hard target search of every outhouse, whatever, all that, and um, in a three-mile radius, whatever. And then they find the other cop, uh, like the other guard that um, brought Bill Murray's brother um, says was, you know, he hauled him out or whatever. And he's like, care to revise your story? <laughs> and then we get then we get the uh the 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 sheriff who has been had his power taken away from him because Tommy Lee Jones is like yeah we're in fucking charge now how about that and the guy's like but 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 he's like all right he's like I want you to search whatever and all this he's like what are you out of your mind he's dead and then Tommy Lee Jones's response is well then that ought to make him easier to catch yeah. <laughs> I just love how he never wants to stop looking like, I also for love- him and- I love where he's like, he's fish food. Well, then find him in a fish's stomach. <laughs> then find the fish that ate him. <laughs> I, I love how he never stops until he wants to. He wants that body. He needs to see that body because this man, unlike every other law enforcement official in Chicago, apparently, wants to do his job the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and As I also love my one of my favorite lines in this movie. It's like if they can dye the river green today, why can't they dye it blue the other 364 days of the year? It's such a great line. That is such a great line. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. and like the best part, like the back and forth that Tommy Lee Jones and his little team with Joey Pants and um the guy that has the blue, the dye blue uh, um line, the ponytail cop, uh the Nash from Under Siege. Uh, the woman is somebody too. I can't remember her name, but um, the back and forth that they have is so like natural and funny and like humorous. You you almost believe that they've well, been think, a crew well, forever. A cup of coffee, a cup of coffee, and a chocolate donut with the little sprinkles on it. Yeah, some, yeah, think me up a cup of coffee. Yeah, well, it's yeah, yeah. Think me up a cup of coffee and a donut, chocolate with some little sprinkles on it. But um, it's it's so they're like they're like rapport with each other and l scott Cal- caldwell is the the woman and she's been she was in the net and she was in she's on lost for a little bit i think but their back and forth is like so natural that like it's almost as if you grab like a real like team and not just actors and like put them in this movie and they happen to be these great characters you know but tommy lee jones again after under siege to do this is this is his best supporting actor role. This is what he won for. And it is his job as Sam Gerard is so perfectly acted. He's just amazing in this movie. It's absolutely great. And even the bet, like they don't share that many scenes where they actually get to play off of each other with Harrison Ford and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. But the, like the dynamic there is perfect. It's awesome. Yeah. And and the scenes that they do have together are amazing. Yeah. And it's 
like especially like the I don't I didn't kill my wife I don't care part like seeing when he jumps off the spillway he did a Peter Pan right off this damn damn right off this damn you know? I also love the phone call scene where he's like yeah like that's even better and it's it's such a great and it's great writing too because normally and in a bad action movie in a modern day version of this Tommy Lee Jones would either become friends with Kimball and try to help him at some point because he realized he was um, innocent, which doesn't really happen in this movie. Tommy Lee Jones is still trying to arrest Kimball by the end of this movie. And he does, at least for appearances, arrest Kimball at the end of the movie. With the knowledge that they kind of put the case together that Kimball's going to get free. But he's saying, like, we have to go through protocol with this. Right. I procedure like, yeah. yeah procedure and all that and he does it to show that he did his job but in a lesser movie there'll be a lot more like cheesy like let him go situations mm-hmm. and you know where they're talking now, i do want to know so a lot of the evidence in this movie have been brought <laughs> has been acquired in ways that would not hold up in court so I'm curious if on the retrial Richard gets found innocent. Yeah, yeah, or if I do. He gets mistrialed and thrown away. Yeah the the only thing that would like the only thing that would really help him is if Nichols like just confessed, you yeah. know. And I don't think he's going to do that. <laughs> I think they. I think on a retrial. They're going to find that there's enough evidence to find him not guilty, but I'm not sure they get the conviction on Nichols because all the uh, all the evidence acquired against Nichols was acquired illegally. It's it's probably because Nichols has a lawyer that can get him off, you know, because yeah. he is, you know, the bad guy. And in reality, the bad guy always does win, especially the rich bad guy. But Kimball probably would be able to get out of prison. Yeah. Public opinion, on the other hand, would still be against him. He wouldn't be able to get his job back. There's no way he'd be back doing medicine at any point. Um, it would be a very no, different I life. Have, I think the court of public opinion would swing in his favor. In the 90s, probably. Nowadays, though, he would be guilty as hell because there's, there is nothing but what the internet thinks. And yeah. the internet would think he was guilty because everyone would say he was a murderer because they would look no further than that original conviction, just like the Chicago police in this movie. <laughs> he was convicted in a court of law. And that, you know why I know that cop's uh, can, uh, corrupt? Because he's played by Wurtz from The Dark Knight. He's one of Maroney's men. <laughs> That's how I know this whole thing is a sham. <laughs> but yeah, this movie, it's like, this is just a joy to watch. It's one of those movies I could sit down and watch just whenever. And the thing is, it's two hours and like 15 minutes or something like that. It mm. doesn't feel it. It does not feel like it's a minute over an hour and a half. Like it is, it is a quick, it's a quick almost 120 minutes. But, and it's, and it's all from like basically the get go. Like from the first scene, we're getting the flashes of the trial, flashes of what happened to Seal Ward as his wife. We're in the bus escape almost immediately. We are on the Kate. We're on the hunt for the fugitive Harrison Ford. There's only a couple parts where it takes a second to catch its breath. And then we're moving again. And then we're just yeah. moving again. And it's, it's, but it never feels like pointless movement. Like, no, 
every scene is necessary for this movie. And one of my favorite parts about it is that it's it's such a great it, it, Richard Kimball is such a well drawn and written character that even though he's trying to free like clear his name and find the real killers like OJ should have been trying to do, he is still doctoring at certain points. He's still being a doctor. He's he's not supposed to be. He's a janitor, pretending to be a janitor at one point, but he saves that little kid's life by changing his chart. Now, the funny thing is, is that Julianne Moore in her brief little cameo appearance in this is the worst fucking Karen of a nurse ever because she knows exactly what happened with that kid. She knows she he saved her his life. She knows that there was a, ultimately a good thing what he did. And yet all she wants to do is get this janitor in trouble because he didn't do what she told him to do. Yeah. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me, lady? And I What's love the, the, matter the, the with perfect you? tactic to get someone to wait is to just yell down the hall. Wait, wait. Yeah. No, the best is when she takes his ID and says, you stand right here. And then turns his back, turns her back. And Kimball's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> just walks away. <laughs> he like runs away. It's like, yep, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> That's a fake ID anyway. You ain't going to get shit from that. Yep. <laughs> but, of course, we also have Jane Lynch in this movie. Jane That's Lynch. Jane Lynch is really good in this, too. She's uh, his, his buddy at the hospital as well. And um, I do love that everyone, even Nichols, even the villain, is, like, helping Kimball out because they're like, we know he didn't kill his wife. We just know that didn't happen. So we're definitely fuck the cops because this is Chicago and they're corrupt as hell. We are absolutely helping our friend here. (laughs) But what has always bothered me, and it's the only problem I have with this entire movie. Besides the lawyers? Aside, the lawyer thing aside, because that's plot. You need that to happen so the movie can happen. But the one thing that will never not bother me when I watch this movie is when Kimball first comes into the hospital with his beard and all that. And he he gets washed up and cleaned up in that one hospital room. Mm -hmm. He goes out. And he puts a sandwich together using the guy, the patient's breakfast. He has bread and he takes his bare hands, scoops the scrambled eggs onto the bread, makes a sandwich, and then takes quite some time to clean his fingers with his mouth by like sucking off the eggs. And Harrison Ford might as well have looked in the camera and been like, uh ross are you grossed out yet i'm gonna keep going are you grossed out yet because he keeps going i'm like oh my god this is disgusting please stop doing this you're killing me mr ford what's worse that sandwich scene or clueless's sandwich scene how paul rudd puts together that sandwich food criminals the both of them they are food criminals but all right but we're determining who's worse at least Kimball is doing his out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Paul Rudd's is a learned behavior. <laughs> that is how that man puts mayo on his sandwiches. He puts it directly on the goddamn meat. It's it's terrorist. It's terrorist actions. <laughs> the man is a food terrorist. <laughs> All right. So Harrison Ford gets the pass. Yes, yes, because it's it's out of necessity. He's a man on the run. He's <laughs> using what he has. I'm sure that guy has a fork or something sitting there. But it's like, you know what, whatever. It's 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 on the move. He's got to be quick. He maybe he can't, maybe the fork's a little too too long. I don't know. I've never run from the cops after killing my wife. 
yet. You listening, hon? You listening? <laughs> but, Ross has but, a secret plan to finally, uh, to finally get with Samara. Well, that's the thing. My wife probably has the same plan to murder me, so it's going to be one of those like Rocky Freeze frame endings. Where we try to <laughs> kill each and other. Mrs. Smith with a lot less skilled fighters. <laughs> yes, Mister Mrs. Smith, but uh, but not not skilled. Yeah, there's no special ops involved. <laughs> Just two people trying to kill each other at the same time. <laughs> But yeah, it's that's like I said, that is the other than the plot hole of the of the one of the richest surgeons in Chicago married uh, in a happy marriage Mm -hmm. to one of the wealthiest women in Chicago, apparently. And he kills her. They can't come up with some lawyers. (laughs) And they believe he kills her for money. Right. Yeah. Again, it's and everyone apparently that this man comes in contact with loves Richard Kimball. So yeah. I can imagine his father and mother and father-in-law are probably like, yeah, we know you didn't kill our daughter. You had no reason to. There's absolutely no evidence to support that you did. We hate the cops too because they're fucking corrupt. Yes, we will try to help you with our team of high-priced and high-powered lawyers. Yes. <laughs> we will make this go away in seconds. <laughs> yeah. But and I love that. So my other problem with this movie is when they're at the medical conference and you have the keynote, the guy, the bad guy is the keynote speaker. And he's like, and there is absolutely zero side effects. Everyone in that conference should have pointed and left. Zero <laughs> side effects. Tylenol has side effects, motherfucker. Where you hear a guy in the background just yell, bullshit. <laughs> zero <laughs> side effects. My morning coffee has side effects. Right. <laughs> what I want is someone to just yell out when Kimball starts talking back to him and you're, and Nichols is like, let's talk about this in private. I want someone to yell out, no, let's hear him out. <laughs> he obviously risked a lot to be here. That's the guy wanted for murder. I want to know what he has to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is way more interesting than a guy lying about the side effects of a medication. <laughs> Your speech was putting us to sleep. <laughs> We want to hear the guy who has the drama. <laughs> it looks like he eats scrambled eggs with his hands. We want to hear him. <laughs> he eats scrambled eggs with his hands. <laughs> there are so many parts where it's like, you know, it, it has to happen that way because that's it's a movie. But yeah. I really do want that like wise ass like in the background, like, no, <laughs> don't go off to the side. <laughs> Give hey, him a microphone. <laughs> this medical conference just got way more interesting. I'm only here to have sex with my secretary. My wife doesn't know. <laughs> I need you to kill some time for the Viagra to kick in. <laughs> I only wanted to go to the new breast implant expose. <laughs> The plant expose. <laughs> I don't know what goes on in medical conferences. <laughs> it's in the room next to the AVN Awards. <laughs> <laughs> the Preston Plant Expose. Amazing. I'm here for an AA meeting. I'm in the wrong room and too embarrassed to leave. <laughs> I'm here for my sex addiction. Where's the breast and blood expose? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. 
there's, there's a lot of weird conferences going on in Chicago on that day. <laughs> They're all very different. There's like a brony convention next door. <laughs> They're wandering in trying to find out what's going on with Richard Kimball. This isn't Comic-Con. <laughs> Chicago Comic-Con's up the road. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, that was the fugitive. <laughs> kind of. It's actually sort of the, version the, to eggs after watching the fugitive and Mike's talking about Preston Plant exposés. Yeah, at the at the end there, we kind of went off the rails like that train, but uh, I think it was fall for a good cause. <laughs> so, Mike, next week we got to talk about the 2000s, but in the meantime, where can people find us on the internet? All right, so for your streaming pleasure, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you get your podcast from. Thanks, Anchor. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. You want to talk to Ross, go to Facebook. You want to talk to me, go to Instagram. Uh, Give us a like, give us a follow, shoot us a comment. We're pretty good with responding. You can also find us on YouTube now if you want to watch me and Ross attempt to torture each other with forcing each other to watch movies. I don't know. I think only Ross attempted to torture me one week. Because, <laughs> honestly, yeah. go watch the review of Hard Ticket to Hawaii because, like, I'm going to say it was favorable. <laughs> yeah, it's Hard Ticket to Hawaii is such a great movie. I mean, there's there's part of me that wants to make you watch the other 11 in that series, but I haven't even watched them, and I know they're probably just bad after that. Yeah, but, but that's um, apparently ma- the best one is that. Yeah, and Malibu Express, the first one, is supposed to be okay as well. But uh, yeah, hard to but get does it have a murder murderous cancer snake? Ah, that's a that's a great question. Probably is something like that. But I know that all of them have gratuitous TNA by Playboy Playmates, or for <laughs> some reason the answer. <laughs> the murderous cancer snake kept making me think of. I want some sharks with freaking lasers. We have sea bass. Sea bass. Are they They're mutated sea bass? <laughs> Are they ill tempered? yes they are that's a start that's a start yeah but uh yeah and the only thing i can think of the whole time watching our ticket to Hawaii is ball fondlers from ricky morty yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's just the ball fondlers uh tv show it's great but um all right so and like uh, while you're on our youtube channel like and subscribe to that i feel like we should probably start putting that in the actual videos too so maybe people will do it yeah. but um yeah we yeah, gotta get so. the link and uh share that on our instagram and facebook get people to start yep yeah so our marketing yeah. game has been weak for YouTube so far. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's 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 kind of it kind of goes along the lines of our uh, production values. Who needs them? Kind of philosophy here. We are we are an underground podcasting uh, podcast, and we are underground YouTubers. We're not following along with your with your shiny YouTubers, those children. You know, we're not we're You're not looking one of your for a pretty old... product. You came to the wrong place, motherfucker. Yeah, we're not we're not one of your sixteen year old billionaires. You know, like showing you playthroughs of some video game. No. We're talking about random obscure movies and we're doing it with a budget of nothing. How about that? You know, <laughs> it's the time we got back to our roots in this country. And that's what I'm talking about. Bad production values, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Something along those lines. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go back in time and raise funds for my presidential uh, run. So uh, we can do that right. Anyway, next week we've got to talk about action rolls on. So we got to talk about the two thousands and, uh, there's some good ones in this too. I mean, well, there's one that might not be so great upon rewatch, but uh, we're talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. We're going to talk it. about the we're going to talk about the Transporter. Which, welcome back, Jason Statham. But I'm not entirely sure that's going to be a great watch. Yeah. Uh, but then we're going to do a double, 
a combined movie, one saga, let's say, and it'll be the Kill Bill saga, Kill Bill one and two. Yes. We're gonna talk about so that's going to be pretty good. And I think until that time, I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McWiggin. We'll see you guys next time. So long. <laughs>